Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. HousingWire Daily examines the most compelling mortgage, real estate, and fintech articles reported from the HousingWire newsroom. Each afternoon, the HW Digital team provides our listeners with a deeper look into the stories that are helping move markets forward. Hosted and produced by Alcina Lloyd and Victoria Wickham. And now, here's our host. Pull from the hottest topics coming across our news desk. I'm Victoria Wickham. And this is Housing Wire Daily. Today's Housing Wire Daily interview features a crossover episode from Housing Wire's Housing News podcast. In this episode, Housing Wire's editor in chief, Sarah Wheeler, interviews John Beecham, CEO of Turak Capital Partners. During the episode, Beecham discusses his recent Housing Wire article that outlines three common sense initiatives that could immediately make a difference in affordable housing, as well as how zoning impacts the home buying process. But before we listen, here's a brief word on Housing Wire's newest podcast. They say money talks, so why can't we? Housing Wire is thrilled to introduce its newest podcast, Girl Funds a show where we give you our two cents on money. We love to talk with our girlfriends about everything, except our finances. We're here to bring money back into the conversation, hosted by me, Brenda Nath, along with our editor-in-chief, Sarah Wheeler. Be sure to join us every week starting this Wednesday for our girls' night focused on everything from how to pursue your dream of owning a home to affording your best friend's wedding. Each week, we'll have a special guest join us as we intertwine finance and friendship. Welcome, everyone. This is Sarah Wheeler. I'm Editor-in-Chief at HousingWire with the latest episode of our Housing News Podcast. I'm excited to introduce our guest today, John Beecham, who's the founder and CEO of Turak Capital Partners. John has more than 20 years of experience in the real estate finance industry. He's completed more than $50 billion in transactions and structured financings, and he's won CMBS or Structured Finance Deal of the Year awards four times. John, we're so excited to have you on. Welcome to Housing News. Great. It's really wonderful to be here. Thanks for having me. Perfect. Well, you know, we always like to start out and say, you know, how did you get into the industry? Because it's it's always a, a, a winding road. It's usually not, wow, I really want to do this since I was 10 years old. So we love to find out everyone's story on that. Sure. Well, it's, a, uh, it's definitely a winding road for me as well. Uh, I graduated from college. I started working in investment banking, uh, doing uh, financial institutions investment banking, uh, focused mostly on uh, insurance companies, actually. So very different to the world than what I'm doing now. Uh, worked in uh, for various banks in New York and also Australia. When I was in Australia, I lived in a town called Torak. Um, and then along the way, uh, ultimately, I was at Deutsche Bank. And Deutsche Bank bought a mortgage company. And I ended up uh, working on the transaction for Deutsche Bank uh, to buy the mortgage company. So learned about that. And then shifted into, after that transaction happened, the commercial real estate group at DB. Uh, and when I was there, I started doing large balance commercial real estate lending. So once again, very different than housing, um, but they tended to be you know, $100 million and up uh, loans, mostly for CMBS uh, execution, uh, you know, through the work, work through the crisis. And ultimately when came out of the crisis, I you know, started getting calls in 2012 from different um, private equity firms 
that were looking to buy single family rental properties as an investment. And that was really the first time that people were buying uh, rental properties, you know, at, at an institutional scale. And I thought this was great. So at DB, I, I built a team, uh, started financing uh, initially Blackstone and others, and built up a single family rental practice uh, within the commercial real estate group, actually. Uh, we had a JV with our, our resi group as well. Uh, through that, I ended up uh, doing a huge number of deals over that first uh, 2012, 2013, and left a former company called B2R Finance, which was a single family rental lending company that's sponsored by Blackstone. Uh, built it up to about a billion and a half dollars of lending volume over about a two year period, uh, and then left in 2016 to form uh, Twack. So it's sort of, I, I came in through a very different, different route, uh, more from uh, initially from investment banking side. No, I've, I've followed some of those moves. So, uh, you know, that, that uh, SFR space is just so interesting and, and, uh, and then the different companies that you've built. So thanks for sharing that. Well, give us a little bit of your vision for, for Torak. What, what are you trying to accomplish there? Well, Torak is a company that uh, I founded in 2016. And the idea is that we are really the Fannie Mae, uh, in particular for the bridge lending industry, but now we've expanded our product suite beyond that. And what we saw is that while there's a ton of liquidity for, I would say, traditional residential mortgage lending. Many of your listeners are in that market. There's very little liquidity for things that are outside of the GSE box or even the non-QM box. And so we really focused on that. So it was funding uh, originators who would make loans to people who are rehabbing single family properties uh, that we would set the guidelines and criteria, uh, make the loans ourselves and ultimately, or, or set the guidelines for types of loans we're looking to buy, but partner with lenders across the country who would do those types of loans. Uh, so we've grown that business. Now we also do multifamily bridge loans as well, in addition to one to four family bridge loans. Uh, we have a 30-year uh, DSCR or a single family rental product, uh, which is close to my close to my heart, if you remember my background. Um, and we also have a, uh, we actually just launched a infill ground up construction product. So these are all products that we don't, we're not the lender, but we basically are the Fannie Mae of this industry of things that Fannie Mae doesn't do. Um, to partner with lenders who originate loans and we ultimately acquire. So we do this in the U.S. Uh, as well as the United Kingdom, where we have a very large presence as well. Well, that's really, you know, that expertise is really um, why we wanted to bring you on and, and talk about the topic that we are today, which is, you know, we can talk about various things, but affordable housing and and what it looks like, you know, where we can go with it and and where you're sitting right now, that, that liquidity for different things is so important. But especially when we think about the... Uh, you know the rehab that uh, of older of older units and all that. So so we're going to get to that. So let me start with the first one. You know you wrote a recent article for Housing Wire and you talked about the opportunity coming out of this pandemic period to actually prioritize affordable housing in some new ways. And and so I just wanted to ask you about that. Why do you think now is a good time to do that? Uh, well, it's a critical time to do that. Um, first of all, clearly we've all had a lot of time to think uh, over the past year. So we've been in our houses. Uh, a lot of time to think about what's going on in the world and what opportunities we have to make things better and some of the problems that we have. Uh, in our space, housing is a, is a fundamental problem that really needs a lot of focus. Uh, there's lots of inequalities in housing access across the country, uh, and that's become even more important than ever. You've seen you know, really a have and have not coming out of this crisis where certain groups of people tend to be more professional class uh, are actually doing okay. Uh, and clearly, you know, lower income people as a group have had more trouble uh, going through the pandemic. And so you have this double whammy of housing prices getting more expensive throughout this, this time, 
uh, frankly, in a, in a pretty rapid way across most areas of the country. At the same time that uh, lower income people don't really have the ability to have stable jobs and qualify for mortgages uh, and take advantage of the low interest rates that currently exist. So you have this kind of double whammy that's causing this housing prices to get more and more out of reach, uh, especially on the affordable side for people who, uh, you know, people are looking for affordable housing. So that, that, that whole issue has really come to head as a result of the pandemic. Um, and separately, I think nothing like, you know, we'll talk about this in a minute, but nothing like sitting at home for a year to make you rethink how you do things. Uh, so we all do things differently. Many, many of your listeners are at home, uh, probably work from home uh, and will be for a long time. And who knows what that means long term. And so we've had to change the way we operate. We've changed our business practices. And I think it also gives us an opportunity to think about, well, how that could apply to the mortgage world and how we could change the way we do things in the mortgage world to make it more efficient in a way that it makes it easier for people across the across spectrum to access housing and reduce cost uh, or cost burden for those types of uh, transactions to access affordable housing. So I think that also is a good opportunity that's coming out of this right now. Yeah, I, I think that's actually a great point because, you know, Every every time you look back uh, in the past with with the sort of you know a, a pandemic you know in the past the disruption has been you know pretty terrible and and but innovation on the other side right of any of these sort of uh, giant shocks to the system so I agree that this could be the perfect time to take on this and and for those reasons you know you outline three separate areas where both the industry and government could really make a difference in improving affordable housing. And the first way was to standardize and digitize the real estate transaction, uh, specifically how we record those transactions. You know, why is that such a priority? Uh, well, first of all, let's talk a minute about um, something that we probably don't think about a lot, which is how our mortgage system actually and our, our real estate system actually works. So uh, our real estate system for recording uh, ownership of properties is in this country a state-based and frankly a county-based system where every county has different rules, procedures, and practices, fee schedules, and everything else as to how you can actually record your ownership in a property and also record a mortgage. Why is that important to everyone? It's something we don't really think about a lot. Um, that, that system is very different across you know, every region and area of the country. And the reality is when you take a mortgage out or when you buy a house, you know, many of us have a line item and I, I, I'm, a, I'm a homeowner. I'm just in the process of refinancing my mortgage for the, for the third time. I've owned my house for about 15 years. And every time I do this, I have to go pay title insurance. Um, so why do we have to pay title insurance in this country? And why is that something that is uh, related to digitizing kind of the real estate transactions? Well, the reality is you have, in order to go prove your ownership of a property, you have to hire someone indirectly to go to the mortgage recording office in your, in your county. In many cases, there's physical books where they're going through page and line items to figure out whether you own that property or not. And frankly, that process is very manual. It's very specific to specific areas. There's an army of people around the country who do this. And it's frankly antiquated and out of date. And so what, how that manifests itself in terms of housing is that we're all paying really high premiums for title insurance. Yeah, I'm, I'm paying my you know third time, I, I pay about half a percent of my house value uh, for my title insurance policy. And when you actually look at the insurance companies and what they're doing, about 80% of that cost that you're paying is not in claims, not actually losses title insurance company is paying out. That's for paying for all the human beings who are going and looking at page number 97 
in your lo local county clerk's office to confirm that you own that property. So it's a, it's a massively antiquated system. To listen to the full episode, please head over to the Housing News Podcast, which is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Now more than ever, the housing industry is looking to its leaders for answers. That's why each week, the Housing News Podcast invites a new mortgage, fintech, or real estate executive to the show to provide its listeners with more perspective on the announcements and news stories crossing HousingWire's news desk. Hosted by Sarah Wheeler and produced by Elsina Lloyd, the Housing News Podcast is now available on iTunes, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, and more. That's a wrap for today's episode of Housing Wire Daily. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, and join us again tomorrow.